Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Phyllis Harris. Phyllis is the General Counsel, Chief Compliance and Government Relations Officer at the American Red Cross, and it's my second podcast discussion with Phyllis. If you haven't listened to the first, go back into the podcast archives and check it out. It's a fantastic discussion first time round, and it's just as good second time round. How do I describe Phyllis Harris? Phyllis is a force of nature. She's now almost, I think it's four years in to her role at American Red Cross. She tells us what she described as a David and Goliath story. She takes us through why her legal department were the award winners at the recent Financial Times Innovative Legal Awards, which were back in December. And Phyllis tells us why her team won that award and basically why she says it's David and Goliath. And it's really because the kind of resources that are, let's say, a Fortune 100 in-house legal team might have, but that wasn't a blocker. But there's much more to it too. One of my favourite themes from this episode is the way Phillips talks about the American Red Cross being stewards of donor dollars and how then that kind of infiltrates into the way her team operates, the way the whole organisation operate spending the money in that way so that there is more out there for those in need. So in the usual fashion, sit back, chillax and enjoy the episode. Phyllis Harris, it's so good to see you again and to welcome you back to Innovative Legal Leadership. Thank you. I, th- I, think, it's been, I think it's been 18 months, Phyllis, since we yeah. last had you on. You are relatively, I think, only a few months in at American um, Red Cross, and we're in the middle of COVID. Um, right. So, so what's happened since then? What I'm so proud of is some recognition that my legal department has received uh, since we last spoke. In 2021, the legal department received an award from the Association of Corporate Counsel as the legal team of the year in the Washington region. And a good bit of that was built around all of the legal advice that we provided to our clients during COVID, you know, keeping the blood supply safe. Our incredible volunteers and employees still serve those in need, you know, during hurricanes, you know, we had, it was a terrible hurricane season in 20 in 2020 and going into 21. So really, really proud of that. And then uh, most recently in 2022, uh, we received a great award from the Financial Times of London's Innovative Lawyers Awards for the Innovative Legal Department of the Year. And it was uh, very exciting because we felt like we were the Davids in a category of Goliaths. Back-to-back wins, and of course, Phyllis, we caught up in New York at those awards, at the FT Awards. A shout-out to Rena Sengupta and the RSGI team who run a fantastic program, the FT Innovation Awards. 
We saw each other there. I've, I was I was rooting for you and the team. And I tell you, when your name, when the American Red Cross legal team got called out, there was fist pumping, certainly from my table, Phil. So I was incredibly excited. So so kudos to you and the team. Tell us more about it. Tell us what it takes because you're right. It, it is a kind of a bit of a David in a league of Goliath. So I'd love to learn. I know the audience would love to learn a little bit more. How did the team do it? So it kind of goes back to when I started at the Red Cross and this notion of being stewards of donor dollars is very important to me. You know, we count on our donors for donations of blood, but we also count on donors, all ranges of donors, uh, from a child who's collecting, you know, money at school or uses money from their allowance and decides they want to give to the American Red Cross to support victims in Kentucky that suffered uh, terrible losses during the flood season. So that premise really resonates with me. Yeah. And specifically donors who decide through their wills or through their trusts to leave something to the Red Cross um, so that we can use those funds yeah. to help. So when I got here, it was um, very apparent to me that Perhaps we weren't the greatest stewards in that yeah. regard with respect to trusts and estates. Yeah. Um, we, for many years, had used one law firm to help us manage that work. And uh, Jim, um, as you know, I've, I'm a real stickler for getting into data, into analytics. Yep. And I just started seeing things that were somewhat troubling when I looked at issues of timekeepers, when I looked at just the hours that were being built on yep. some very basic, you know, probate matters, you yep. know, and more importantly, every year, you know, looking at the data, it looks like these costs were increasing when the revenue in these categories, the revenue wasn't necessarily increasing. You know, we had a vision setting exercise throughout the organization, but specifically with this issue to try to find more efficiencies. And yep. the law firm that we were using had a proprietary platform that helped process all of these um, all of these matters. And so the first thing the team said was, well, you know, they have that platform. We can't yeah. do this because we don't have the platform. So that became the opportunity for innovation. Yeah. And we went out and we even talked to another, a couple of law firms in addition to just consultants. And everyone said, wow, this is really difficult. And, you know, it got to a place where I, I feel like we were kind of in the Wizard of Oz and we were kind of Dorothy where you click your heels and you go, you know, Toto, we've been home, yeah. you know, the whole time. And <laughs> we went back to IT and said, you know, we really believe you can help us solve this problem. And there, there was a new engineer who recently arrived at the Red Cross. And he said, yeah, I can help you solve this. So we came up with the requirements. And the requirements actually were a lot more uh, robust than what yeah. we had um, in the current platform. And it took about a year. But we were able to stand up our own platform to process all of these transactions. In addition, um, we gave the business more insights into what was happening as well, because this particular expense was borne by the humanitarian services division. 
So it wasn't an expense that was borne by legal. It was yeah. a business. And when humanitarian services takes money to pay attorneys, that's money that they can't use to help, you know, disaster victims. So long story short, from the time that I arrived at the Red Cross, when I said, we just need to start kind of doing blocking and tackling. Let's look at timekeepers. Let's look yeah. at where we can manage expenses more efficiently. And so year one, we got those expenses down by, let's say, 20%. Year two, we got a bit more sophisticated with blocking and tackling. And I like to say year three was like, if you're into Kansas City, which I'm not, but this is just an analogy. We had our kind of Patrick uh, Mahomes moment where we had the platform up and we did all these things. And um, we looked and we saw over a three-year period that we were able to reduce these expenses by 60%. Wow. Um, and what was interesting was that our clients, humanitarian services, that um, they were paying this expense and they were like, um, as they were developing a budget, they were like, there looks to be something strange. Are we, is something wrong? Like, it looks like as we're budgeting, we're budgeting like 60% less than we have had. And like, nope, that's the truth. That's what's happening. And um, they just couldn't believe it because it was foreign to them that the legal department would actually take on a project to bring down expenses in this way that wouldn't necessarily, you know, go back to the legal department, but rather to the business. And we were just, you know, so proud. So that was the project. And um, I, I had a lot of knowledge of Financial Times and literally very, very late in the process, I, you know, something just popped up in my mailbox that said, Hey, you know, if you have something that's innovative, you should apply. And I said, let's give it a shot. Let's give it a shot. So let me unpack one thing. Firstly, just doing things that you've been doing before the organization has just done before. And it's assumed this is the way it is. How did you break through that? Because that look, we've always done it this way. Um, how did you rally the troops around? And now let's have a bit of a closer look at that um, and see whether there's a different, because it clearly wasn't an easy problem to solve, especially when you've got essentially a platform that's already, you're entrenched in, that's already been you know, used a number of years. And you've done something very unique. The build-it-yourself solution, I typically would say you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, You should be going to best, but, but, but this is actually quite unique. So tell me how you one, the hearts and minds to let's not just think about what we've done before. And then I suppose the investment, because there is a bit of an investment to deliver on the result. You know, from a very, very basic point of view, Jim, when I arrived at the Red Cross, I think a lot of in-house legal departments assume that, and the people in it, assume that they understand its purpose and its mission. And, you know, in a, from a very, very basic level, when I arrived, you know, I interviewed everybody in the department. I interviewed clients. I interviewed outside counsel. And we just had like a day and a half of a strategic planning session where we really, really honed in what is our purpose as a legal department and what is our mission? And more importantly, what is our vision? What do we want to aspire to be? And our vision was we want to be the gold standard for nonprofit legal departments. And so in addition to that, you know, we define our mission and our day-to-day objectives of being responsive, 
being creative and being strategic business partners. You know, it, it sounds like, well, yeah, everybody should do that. But when you come in, particularly from the outside and you're coming into an organization where people love the Red Cross, so they they don't leave. Yep. So I it was really important to kind of level set on where we want to be as an organization, what our purpose is day to day, because I think there was a little bit of wandering in the wilderness with respect yeah. to we're strategic business partners. And we understand that if we do our jobs well, we're responsive, we we are efficient, that we have a unique opportunity to contribute back to the mission of the Red Cross. And we contribute in a very tangible way in terms of money that can go to individuals who need it the most. So that resonated with folks. So once that was set, it wasn't difficult doing things in different ways. You know, obviously I was able to bring some of my past experiences to bear, but at the same time, it's important that people discover these things for themselves. So the people who were doing this work in our department were our paralegals, the largest team. And so I went to them and I said, if you could fix anything, and I already had in my mind what needed to be, but if you could fix anything, what would it be? And they said, this relationship with this law firm, the fact that we feel like we're so dependent upon them to do our work, the fact that it feels like they are very, very deeply ingrained in our work and more ingrained than they should be. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a true client outside counsel relationship. So it became something that was a rallying cry to a certain degree. And there was a lot of pride in trying to find a solution you know, to this problem. You know, that was how, you know, I was able to kind of get a different way of thinking. And then every time they said that they hit a brick wall and they're, you know, we can't find this, we can't find a consultant, we can't find this. I'd say, there's got to be a way, just go back and think about some more. And then I say, well, talk to this person or talk to that person. And then finally they said, we got somebody in IT who says they can do it. And then it became incumbent upon me as a leader to remove barriers, right? Yeah. The biggest barrier was it's still going to take money to get this yeah. done, and I've got to get that done. And so then I go to the business and I say, this is a vision. This is what we think we can do. And this is what we think we can bring back to the people who need the Red Cross, you know, each and every day. And they were like, okay. It was a lot of skepticism because- yeah. The legal department had never asked for anything like mm. this, never had, had never asked. And so it was a bit of, and even the team was like, you know, they don't give us money to do things like this. And I said, because we've never asked. Yeah. So let's ask. And we did. And they were like, okay, we see in the first year you've brought down expenses by 20%. Maybe she's onto something. Yeah. Maybe she knows what she's doing. Winning the hearts and minds. I mean, that is such a key part, as you know, of leadership. And then being clear on the mission, being clear in the direction that everyone is headed, the way the ro- the boat is rowing. And I have to say, I love the stewards of donor dollars. I just think that as the as a touch point or as a directional, mm-hmm. you know, measuring everything you're doing against that, I just think that is fantastic. It's so simple, but it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, in a sense, also as a nonprofit and having such an impact. Being able to have such an impact on lives, 
Mm-hmm. Um, Phyllis, I think you can really, you can translate that stewards of donor dollars and the more of those donor dollars that impact. And, and I'm just, I can just see how the team can be rallied by that. So um, it's a fantastic story. And it's one, look, it's t- tell me about how you think about that now, having had the experience of a nonprofit, the other nonprofits out there that might not have developed the kind of the muscle that you're starting, they certainly developed in American Cross. What's the advice that you would give to the in-house teams in other nonprofits? You know, Jim, I readily accept that I had a little bit of a an edge in this regard because I did this at, you know, the Fortune One and the Fortune yep. One legal department. Yep. So what was my challenge was you know, I had a department that I had a lot of people doing this stuff. I could do a whole lot of creative things. Then I come to the Red Cross. We had no budget and convincing people that this was worth the effort, not just from trust and estates, but holistically in terms of how we engage with law firms, how we agreements and all of these kinds of things that, you know, you're, you're very used to. So I would say to other nonprofits, There are lots of organizations that I'm sure they have access to from the Association of Corporate Counsel to CLOCK. And I would just start in like the first six months to a year, just learning and understanding and figuring out what is the value you can add back to the mission of your nonprofit. And then, you know, I'm sure because this is what I did, I'm sure there's someone in your organization that they are incredibly bright and brilliant and have intellectual curiosity. And if you approach them the right way about this incredible opportunity to do something totally different, then you say, okay, this is a vision, not only about trust and estates, but overarching how we look at legal operations. It's funny, when I got to the Red Cross, they came to me, they said, you know, Phyllis, we're down a position and we need to hire or backfill the office manager. And that's what we did. And, you know, we had someone that was really, really bright and she has just done an outstanding job in taking something that was nothing and working with existing vendors. Right. So most nonprofits, if you have somewhat of a budget to spend on outside counsel, you probably have a matter management system. And just working with that vendor saying, hey, help me do this with the matter management system. And then from there, building on to how do you engage with your firms and all of these kinds of things? How do you begin to figure out how to visualize data? You know, the cool thing about the Red Cross, Jim, is that we have people every day who want to volunteer to work for the Red Cross. Yeah. So we have what I would put up against any Fortune 100 legal department, a platform that we visualize our data around outside counsel spin that we got a volunteer. There was a guy who volunteered for our office. He does data or did data and IT in the uh, military. And he just wanted to volunteer for the Red Cross. And he, and it was, yeah. And he was like, okay, if it's the legal department and he built our platform, he did all of our power B power BI He helped us kind of decipher and visualize our data in terms of how we're, for example, staffing with respect to DE&I 
and it's incredible. And um, and so recently he decided he needed to do some other things. So he's no longer volunteering for us. But we got someone else who signed up. So yep. it's yep. Like we get incredible, incredible resources just by people being so incredibly generous. And they don't distinguish, you know, that it's the legal department because they're like, you're doing a good thing, too. Yep. <laughs> so. I would say nonprofits probably have this ability to find someone to volunteer to do some of these things. Um, but I think you've just got to, bottom line, have the vision. Everyone has to accept it and embrace it and then just go for it. A common theme is likely to be similar to what you, you know, you talk about stewards of donor dollars. That's going to be a common theme, stewards of whether donor dollar, it's going to be a common theme across most yep. nonprofits, isn't it? So I often talk about spending it like it's your own money. No, actually, it's even you should be even smarter because it's someone else's money that you've been entrusted with, and every dollar that you save is a dollar that goes to someone in need. It's not a dollar that goes back into the coffers of the. Um, uh, uh, of the profit margin and so forth. And that just can be an incredibly motivating and a rallying cry mm-hmm. um, uh, to, to, to the troops. Yep. Um, what, what about, so, so what about attorneys that are thinking about um, working in nonprofits? What would you, what's the, what's the advice? Um, any particular time in their career or what, what would you advise um, attorneys thinking about um, at a stage in their career, I'm not sure what stage, at a stage um, working up, what advice would you give? Yeah, well, I would say this is that most nonprofits are like in house legal departments. We have 17,000 employees, you know, you have labor issues, you have employment issues, you have all these kinds of issues. So it's rare that we hire folks straight out of law school. Very, very rare because we need people who have some skill set. So I think first and foremost for any young attorney is figuring out what area that you want to practice in and really hone those skills, hone them, hone them, hone them. Yeah. And then I would say second, as you're doing that, is to think about your financial portfolio, your picture, so that when it comes time that you say, I want to do something different. You have a little bit of freedom to do that. Yeah, I talk about, I mean, sometimes we don't talk about it. I don't know why, but we don't talk about often the um, the drive and desire and the benefit of achieving economic security and how important that is um, earlier in the career and building the, the foundation to do that for yourself, for your family. Sometimes, you know, because it's money and sometimes we just don't like to talk about it, but it's actually real. It's important. It's what we're all looking to achieve at some degree, economic security. So I think what you're saying is get to a position where you've got a level, at least, of that economic security and it'll change. Presumably when you move to in-house, you really want to be doing it because of the mission, the impact that you can make, rather than achieving economic security. I would agree with that, Jim, and I would say, Honing your skills, it, it ties into that because if you really, really hone your skills, you're putting yourself in a more competitive position outside of nonprofit so that you can do things and, and become more financially stable. And then when the Red Cross or something like that presents itself, you go, you know, maybe this is a, an opportunity for me to take. 
all of the attorneys in our office came from private practice and they just got tired of kind of that rat race. They understood that, you know, the salary structures are a bit different, but at the same time, I think they get such a deep sense of fulfillment. But all of them, I would say, did something like that. They really, they're the best at what they do in my mind. I mean, we have incredible pedigrees of attorneys, you know, Ivy League. I think half of the team went to Ivy League schools and all of this, but they just, you know, they love the work. And and I would say most of them decided to make this shift eight to 10 years. You know, they've been right. practicing anywhere from like eight yep. to 10 years. You know, we have, it's interesting. We've recently hired someone like five years of practice and she's like, I, I don't think I, I will ever leave. You know, that's what I would say to a young attorney. And I would also say to you know, we always think about nonprofit as being the place of impact, which it has an incredible amount of impact. But, you know, I started my career at the Environmental Protection Agency. Yeah. And I equate that a lot with being in a nonprofit because, you know, salary structures are the same. You get an incredible sense of accomplishment when you can, you know, take down some major computer yeah. or whatever. So I was going to ask whether you did equate that experience, you know, partially with nonprofit, because it's, if you look at your career, having now come back, if you like, to a nonprofit and looking to achieve the kind of outcomes and have the kind of impact mm-hmm. uh, that you're having. So it's, it's feeling like you're coming, you know, in a full circle. Yeah, I would say that. But, you know, even having been at the Fortune One, I... I was very proud to been at a company that for what I did, which was standing up an environmental program, that's an impact when you absolutely have, yeah. a, you know, you're working at a company that has such a huge just footprint and to be able to say, you know, I contributed to that footprint being more environmentally conscious as yeah. well as compliant. So yeah, it does feel a lot like it's full circle for sure. And just again, thinking about, you know, sometimes we we end up doing more with less because we have less and then we just got to work out a way to be more innovative. So although initially perhaps you caught people by surprise, you caught the, the Goliaths by surprise because, you know, you don't have a massive legal operation function, you don't have a massive, you don't have the kind of infrastructure, if you like, and the resources that let's say the in-house legal ops team of a Fortune 100 would have. But I I, I was wondering to myself, is that actually the reason or part of the reason why you have to innovate? You have to think outside the box. You don't have the resources that you otherwise might have at another organisation. Does that play any role in, um, uh, well, does that play any role in why you think the Red Cross was and your department was successful here and was, you know, got the award. What do you think? Yeah, I think you definitely become a lot more creative. Yeah, you, you have to definitely begin to you you look at your existing tools and resources in ways that perhaps I did not look at them when I was at Walmart. Um, you certainly say, you know, we need to get a handle on all of our contracts. Well, I don't feel like I can justify bringing on some major software company that can do all of the bells and whistles. 
again, I have the power of volunteers, people who yeah. are like, yep, yeah, I'll help you build something. And then number two, I have a brilliant person on my team who loves this stuff. Yeah. And she built an incredible platform to help us manage all of our contracts. And it was like, I think people look at this as, as a, as a, as a mission, like I want to help yeah. create something creative now, particularly yeah. now, since this team has gotten all of these accolades, actually, we just learned on Monday that this team is getting one of the highest awards that you can get at the Red Cross, which is the president's award. Oh, um, congratulations. And I'm, and I'm so, so, so proud of them because again, yeah. when I came into the Red Cross. I was asking about the awards. It was like the first year. And I was like, well, I don't see anybody here from OGC. It's like, you know, that, that award is not for attorneys. <laughs> That's not for legal. Right. Those high, high achieving awards, they're not for legal. <laughs> I said, what do you mean by that? No, it's for the business. It's for other corporate functions. I said to myself, well, that's what yeah. you And now we got to <laughs> um, <clears throat> So, you know, again, I think you do look at what you have in a different way. You try to be more creative and you just try to, and you, you have this ability to go out in the organization to see what other people are doing. And then you just say, hey, can you help me out? Can you give me this or can I get access to that? And I think we are doing that by 100 fold now versus, you know, four years ago. It's amazing the difference. Oh, and shout out for you here, <laughs> um, Phyllis. But just leadership and vision and um, bringing, um, yeah, look, bringing a vision and stretching people and getting them to think differently and, and empowering them to make an impact. Yep. That's that's leadership. And I, I, I'm, I bet you my bottom dollar, that's what you get the most satisfaction out of. Yeah, I do. K kudos to you, of course. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's nothing more satisfying when people figure out the power that they have to make change. Yeah. And particularly to do it for the betterment of people who need it the most when it goes back to our clients and what have you at the Red Cross. So yeah, it's very satisfying. Phyllis, I'll wrap up with the final question. So it has, it's been 18 months. Um, we're, we're out of COVID, back to kind of normal. What, what has changed most for you in this new, say, having had that experience, if you like, and mm -hmm. all of us being locked down, I haven't asked this question much. I've just, it kind of occurred to me, what's changed most for you? Is there anything that you look at differently now? Anything you don't sweat now? You know, I think I have really developed a deeper appreciation for, be it family, be it coworkers, be it any anybody on my team who say to me, you know, I, I just need some time. I need yeah. um, a little bit of a, a mental health day, what have you. And I say a greater appreciation because I think before COVID, I probably was, could be a little bit, you know, like, let's get it done. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. Yeah. And, you know, during COVID, every, nobody's interacting with folk. You're bringing, onboarding people and literally, I have someone that came that started with the Red Cross, like maybe a month before COVID 
hit fully. And I didn't see her in person for like two years when we had our first big team meeting. Actually, it was more than two years. And I thought about, you know, how does one truly, you know, become ingrained in the culture when you haven't been around? And so I've really have tried to focus a lot more on listening, on asking people truly, how are you doing? Doing, yeah. Um, you know, how's your family doing? Because it matters. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I think there's a lot to, I, I think what COVID did do is kind of elevate awareness mm-hmm. about, well, uh, broadly mental health. And I think a level of fragility that we all have right that for mm-hmm. some reason perhaps obvious reasons w- was exacerbated during that period so the good thing is for me that awareness around that fragility across all of us the sad thing is I, i'm not sure if covid just accelerated some of that fragility too but it certainly helped on the awareness um, mm-hmm. i think the jury's still out on, on the longer term effects i certainly feel a lot more conscious of it too Absolute blast again, Phyllis, to, to, to have you on the show. Thank you so much. You're uh, great to see you in person, you know, a few months ago when we yeah. were at the um, FT uh, Awards Black Tie events. It's, it's great to be you and me in New York City. So that was fun. Um, but I'm looking forward to the next time that we catch up uh, either on the podcast or in person, Phil. So thank you very much for joining. Well, me. thank you for the kind invitation. Always great to see you, Jim. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.